let's do a little bit of dialogue. I feel actually kind of quiet after all this. I don't know how you are. Maybe we can do this in the spirit of holding it with loving awareness. Jesse, if there are folks whose hands are raised, we'll try a couple questions, see what happens. Hello, Michael. Hi, Jack. Can't hear you yet. You're unmuted maybe, but. Hi, Jack. Unmuted, press Alt-A. No hurry. Now you're muted. Uh, can you hear me now? I love it. This is silence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everyone's quiet. Why don't uh, you play with it a little? We'll take another person and then see if we can get back with Jesse and make it. Oh, you can hear him? Jesse, you can hear him? Uh, I can't hear his words. Yes, we can hear Michael and we can hear you, Jack. Okay, yeah, maybe it's at my end. Ah, this is how it is, you know. It's really, you know who's who's at the center of it. Yeah, I can hear you now perfectly. It's all my fault, as always. Thank you. Hi, Michael. Hi. As you and the monks were chanting, life is short. And I'm in a death and dying group. We're all over age 70. Some of us have life-threatening illnesses. And we naturally start thinking not just about making peace with our friends and families, but what goes afterwards, what the afterlife is like. And my own preference is I want my good works to continue with me as well as my intentions. My intentions is to help other people who are left on earth. And I'm just wondering, There's so much confusion about the afterlife and, and yet it would be so helpful to, and soothing to think about it. So can you tell me what's been helpful with all the people you've been sitting with as they die? I, I will, but I wanna ask you something. First, I love the fact that you're in that group and you're looking pretty good for, you know, one of one of my kind in the seventies or, or older. Um, what have you found already that helps you as you reflect on dying? What's made, yeah, what's made the difference? Truthfully, I, I resent dying because it kills all the wisdom that I, I that I've been care that I've been learning my whole life. Um, and that's why I hope that I'd like to get another life to try and do it all over again with the wisdom that I have now that I've built up in this life. 
So let's just pause for a moment. You have the belief that when you die, it's going to kill all the wisdom, right? So feel that for a second. How are that's that's a that's a painful thought to have. Do you know that's true? No, I don't. Okay, so stay with me for a minute. So say, okay, I don't actually know that I'm going to lose wisdom. In fact, sitting with people who've died and left or, or near death and left their body and then come back, everyone thought, oh, their heart stopped. They were, they say, oh, wow, I learned so much more as I were die, was dying. What if what you believe is not true at all? What if it instead you actually learn when you die? How would that be? I would love that. I love learning new things, especially the kind of wisdom that we talk about here. So you said a few beautiful things. All right. First, I would keep that, that open mind, because it could well be true, you know. He also said you want to come back and serve. You want to go actually get better. That's the Bodhisattva vow. All right. However many lifetimes I'm going to come back, like you and the Dalai Lama can hold hands and do it another time. And when he's asked what happens when you die, he says, I don't know. Um, I'm really interested to find out myself. <laughs> so you're in good company. But there's something else. And that is I heard your intention in that. And one of the practices we learned, traditional practices as you approach death, is to reflect on your best intentions and on the good deeds that you've done in your life, even little ones, because they brighten the heart and bring joy so that when this mysterious time comes, when consciousness leaves the body, which it will, and it's not just going to be a flat, you know, piece of meat, the body dies, but, you know, you'll be surprised. You float out, there's light, there's all these things that are awaiting you. And don't think, you know, that um, it will kill all the wisdom. In fact, you may learn more. How does that sound? I love it. It sounds very hopeful. Uh, and I, like you say, I, 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 I want to bring my wisdom forward and my intentions forward. I think you will, but you'll have to wait and see. We're all in this mystery together. Good luck. <laughs> Louisa, would you like to ask your question? Yes. Hello. Hi, Louisa. Nice to see you. Um, so I was, as I was listening to you talk about the one who knows, um, I've been, I listened to a recent uh, lecture from Joseph Goldstein. Mm -hmm. He talked a lot about the known self and how yeah. the self is a concept like a river. And I've, I've been like trying to make a parallel between the one who knows and the known self. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm onto something or if it's totally. No, this is a, it's a beautiful and profound question. Um, my teacher, this Indian 
master guru named Nisargadot, and you may have heard this phrase from him. He said, wisdom tells me I am nothing. Love tells me I am everything. Between these two, my life flows. So the nature of consciousness, and this isn't something for you to believe, but really it's experience. Joseph is talking because he's had this profound experience of no self that comes in meditation. And he looked for himself everywhere and he couldn't find something that was solid that would last. There's a personality in a body, but then it's gone. So, all right, who are you really? Yep. And then wisdom says, I'm nothing. That's what Joseph's saying, but it's not the whole sentence. Love says I'm everything. And if you become loving awareness, in fact, that's what you are, then it's not your identity with the body or the personality, it's consciousness itself. Now I'm gonna pause for a second because this becomes quite philosophical. And you know, these are deep and important questions. I want you to just get quiet for a moment and reflect what makes you ask these questions? What's there in you? I think this understanding that we're just, it's this paradox, right? That we are everything and nothing at the same time. And I don't know, it's maybe I've been thinking a lot about identity and I've been going through a lot of big transitions in life and work, you know, I just finished the MMTCP and I'm teaching lessons and it's, yeah, I've, I'm creating this whole new identity, but, you know, I still have all my past this part of my presence. So I don't know, I'm just been Okay, really... so close, close your eyes, this is beautiful. Okay. <laughs> You're in this big life transition. Mm -hmm. And in some way, as you reflect, you're trying to figure out how to understand it, how to hold it. Keep your eyes closed. All mm -hmm. right. So I was these things, now I'm also becoming this, and I want to kind of figure out how to package it or hold it or understand it so that I can. Uh, so you feel all that, just getting quiet. And now hold all that with a compassionate heart and say, yes. Here's Louisa in the middle of change, trying to look for some understanding to help navigate. And then ask your heart, what's the most important thing to navigate change? This is the one who knows inside, ask your heart. What's the thing, the thread, the thing that's most important to you to guide you in this? Safe service, purpose, love. Service. So it's love and caring and service. Service. How's that feeling? How's that feeling? It feels really good. <laughs> so you answered your lit up. I feel very lit up when I think about these things of serving. Yeah, so, so you answered that very deep question you asked just now from the one who knows, and you could feel it. It lit you up. And you say, yeah. yeah, this is really the thread through, oh yeah, job change and life change and so forth. Service, 
caring, love. This is who I am. This is what, what I really am. And then forget about self and non. I mean, that's all philosophic in a way. The Zen master Sansanim, this Sunsan Sansanim, this wonderful great Korean Zen master used to look at us with those kind of questions. And he would say, you already understand. You already understand and you do. And what you said was beautiful. I could see you get lit up. So thank you. Thank you so much. One more maybe. Devon, would you like to ask your question? Hey, Devon. Hi, um, Devon. Devon, oh good, Devon. Uh, my question is, um, I've read that the Sure Heart's release is the meaning, and the essence of the holy life. And I wonder, what does that mean? What is the Sure Heart's release? And what makes you ask the question? Um, well, based on teachings from you and others, I focused on um, like recovering from trauma and things like that. So I focused a lot on like metta and um, being self care and things like that. But then sometimes I think, well, you know, in the monasteries, it would be all, be all about focusing on the breath and I should really, I want to do the real Buddhist approach, not a sort of Buddhism light or something. So then I think, well, if the Sure Heart's release is the essence of it, then I don't know, maybe I can tell if I'm on the right track or something. Yeah, so this is beautiful and it's a deep question. You're saying, all right, I've done this work trauma, recovering from trauma, doing lots of metta. And then you have some thoughts about what happens in a monastery, whether it's the breath or other things. In fact, monasteries are people. So basically, I hate to tell this is just a little aside. I hate to say this, but they're kind of like any other place. <laughs> and there are people wiser and there are ones who aren't. And you think, oh, I'm going to go to a peaceful place. And then they get in conflict with one another. So monasteries have all of that. As, as well as, of course, time to meditate. Um, yes, the Sure Heart's Release is a translation for liberation or for nirvana. Um, I was reading these beautiful phrases from the Avatamsaka Sutra of um, non-distress, supreme harmony, the abode of peace, uh, the release from shackles, the non-conflict. These are different descriptions and again, I use that phrase from Ajahn Buddha Dasa of everyday nirvana. He said, you think nirvana is going to be found when you get, a, you know, when you get a ticket and travel somewhere else and you'll find nirvana there. He said, but it's not there. It's there in any moment that you let go of grasping and your heart comes to peace. As Suzuki Roshi said, when you realize everything changes and find your composure in it. So the Sure Heart's release points to the fact that in any moment, you can either be caught in your ideas, in your self-judgment, in your identification with trauma, you know, and the pain you carry, the pain of the world that you feel, or in that same moment, 
you can become the loving awareness and say, oh yeah, I was caught in that. And I worry about that and I have that pain, but that's not who I really am. And here was the Buddha walking on foot for 45 years, the dusty roads of India in Nirvana. Now, how could that be? It's obviously not some other place, you know? He had to eat and bathe and talk to people. And he also had people who got angry with him and he had conflict in the community and there were wars around and still his heart was at peace. So what you're speaking about and asking about is that such a deep and beautiful question is, can I find this in my life? Do I have to go to a monastery? You know, I want the real thing. You are the real thing. I hear the sincerity in your question and you can, and then you ask, well, what can, what is it that supports my heart being at peace? And the one in, one who knows and you understands that, oh yeah, this is what supports it. Close your eyes for a moment since we're talking. Take a breath or two. And then a very simple reflection. What is it that supports that spaciousness and peacefulness, peacefulness of heart that you know from some moments in your life that you know is possible? And let yourself reflect, what is it? And notice what comes as you do. When I just let myself be kind to myself. Uh, forget about all the ideas and just be kind. Forget about all those ideas and just be kind. It's so beautiful to have you say that. That's the one who knows. It's the very same thing Aldous Huxley said at the end of his life, just before he died. He said, all the things I've done, all the spiritual teachings, he said, oh my God, it just boils down to be kind, kind to yourself and others. And that is the release of the heart. There is a release in that kindness. Kindness and love open the gateway to the garden to say, I can be here in the world, not in conflict with it. Although conflict comes and you'll have all those pains, but I can hold this with kindness. And I hear it from you and it's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, you have it. It's a pleasure. So I think that's enough words for the evening. I'm very glad that you all could join and be part of the meditation and the teachings. Part of the fabric of community that's grown in Spirit Rock. And I feel a privilege because when I teach, as I did tonight, I'm talking to myself as much as you. It's like a little reminder, Jack. Yes, remember, this is good stuff. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, inviting the one who knows in all of you and in me. So all of you good hearts, all of you people, remember your dignity, remember the care for yourself and to see the secret beauty in every being that you meet with respect. 
live with kindness as our last great master just taught us in that last question. And I'll see you again. Thank you. Good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.